We now have our Bible study today by Mr. Matt Steele, entitled Ephesians. Hello. So, how is everybody? Did, uh, did everybody do their homework? Well, I know not everybody got a book because we were pretty low in numbers uh, last Sabbath. So, um, who did not get a book that would like one? Hands, anybody? Owen, back there. You got him? And we have, uh, we have plenty. So, um, if you were sharing uh, with your spouse, I know that's sometimes difficult for some spouses to share. So, uh, please feel free to grab one. They're, they're over there, or Brian's handing them out. So. Well, I'm looking for a volunteer. First one to raise your hand. Ken? Would you, uh, would you read the opening uh, story, the opening narrative from Lesson 1 for us, please? You want to use the mic that you have on? You can. No? Okay. Apparently, you have to use that one. Throw, throwing too many things at uh, Rick and Brian. Getting the most out of Ephesians. The most successful tourist attraction to appear in London in recent years is the London Eye. Oh, Ken? Not that one? Lesson, lesson one. Okay. Hey. There you go. As in blessing from God. Yeah, there you go. Blessings from God. Have you noticed how sometimes you have a story in the back of your mind which keeps peeping out even when you're talking about something else imagine you've come back from work and the bus has been late again you stood for half an hour on the station platform getting cold and cross then when it arrived it was so full of people you had to stand uncomfortably all the way home but when you tell your family or friends about the trip you find you're also telling them a larger story Everybody knows the buses aren't running properly because the present government has allowed the system to get worse and worse. But there's an election coming soon, and then you'll be able to vote out this government and put in another one that might get you decent bus service. So as you talk about your anger over this evening's ride, you are talking as well about your anger with the present government. And as you talk about how things could be better with the bus you normally catch, you are talking as well about how good things are going to be with the new government. This is a there is a larger framework, a larger story, within which your own smaller stories become more interesting and important. Thank you, Ken. And it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know if you have noticed, but N.T. Wright is English. So um, the, the bus narrative waiting uh, on the train station of the bus stop is that just takes me back. Mark, it probably takes you back too, because you know, that's one of the most favorite things for British people to complain about after the weather is the poor bus service or the train service that we're you know, having to use to get around. But, um, so it kind of takes me, takes me back home there. Um, 
I'd like another volunteer to, to read the open question. It's right after the, the introductory story. It says open, and anybody that can read can do this. Paul's great prayer at the opening of this letter is a celebration of the larger story within which every single Christian story, every story of individual conversion, faith, spiritual life, obedience, and hope is set. Only by understanding and celebrating the larger story can we hope to understand everything that's going on in our own smaller stories, and so observe God at work in and through our own lives. Before Paul tells the story, however, he introduces himself. Why does Paul start with his credentials? So, Keith, you skipped ahead there a little bit. Let me just go back and read that other part. Uh, when have you heard or done something like this, telling someone about the ordinary event and linking it to a larger issue? If not, uh, what might it remind you of in your own life? So, you know, the intro he's talking there about I'm complaining about the bus, but really I'm complaining about the lack of good service from this present government, right? So there's a story within a story. So I'm curious, what, what did you think about that, that narrative and, and, and how that affects your life? Remember, this is a Bible study where you get to share. And I'm willing to let silence sit until somebody gets so uncomfortable they have to say something. What might it remind you in your own life of a story within a story? It reminds me of school when the teacher poses a position and then wants you to think about it. It doesn't give you the answer, but gives you the tools to think about a situation and analyze your own thinking. Because there's ordinary, everyday events that take place, like waiting for a train, that have larger implications. And it's not just about waiting for a train, but it's about how we view the world. It's how we internalize stress or let things ride. or. You know, how we deal with it, mm -hmm. and it's building the toolbox for dealing with life. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the, there's the narrative he talks about, which is the government's the problem with the bus, but why is it a problem? It's because we're not getting to work on time, and our boss is writing us, or whatever that situation may be that's giving us those tools. Any other thoughts on that open question? Art? When I got out of college, I was in Chicago, and I wanted to stay in Chicago because that's where the church was at, and I'd never had an opportunity to attend church on a remote area where we lived in upstate New York. So I stayed in there, and of course I didn't know anybody or my way around Chicago, but I was looking for a job, and I spent all day working, driving around an uh, industrial park up by O'Hare Airport and just hitting every electronics company that was up there. And uh, I was getting nowhere, and I got down to my last $200. And I didn't know what else to do. And then one day it came to me that, ask the pastor. He has a lot of contacts. Maybe he knows a, a job opening. So I asked the pastor, and he told me, well, I don't have anything specific, but um, you might, we have a lot of people that's in electronics. Why don't you try there? 
So I went up there, I got a job offer and was hired the same day. So that facilitated me uh, to have the money to stay in Chicago and all the blessings of being able to attend the church on a regular basis. Again, a story within a story, right? A, an objective to reach another objective. So, um, you know, Keith read the, the first question there. Um, uh, I really want to, to read through the passage in Ephesians. I, I know we were trying to cram in two lessons today, but I think it'd be really, really good. Can, could somebody volunteer to read uh, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10? Mark? All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version here, by the way. Um, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So the first question, it seems um, pretty straightforward, but I think, again, a lot of these questions, we can, we can go as deep as we want, right? But why do you think Paul starts with his credentials? He's about to say, let me start over because of my think caught this he has the authority to say these things he's about to say within these scriptures through God's will yeah so I mean they need to know that he does have the authority to say these things right and and then the the importance of what he is saying then uh, we all interact with teachers across in our life right and we need to understand that they're they're valid that they're coming from a point of truth experience, knowledge, whatever that may be. Um, it says before Paul, uh, in, number, in, in uh, question two, before Paul will even come to report uh, of his specific prayers, he establishes what is, after all, the appropriate context for all Christian prayer, reflection and exhortation, the worship and adoration of God who has lavished his love upon us. Why is God to be worshipped and adored in this way? Why is God to be worshipped, friend? I think to, uh, it reminds us of who he is 
uh, it keeps in our mind who he is and that we are thankful and appreciative of what he does for us. Appreciative. Anybody else have some, any other thoughts on that? Steve? Uh, this, is also a, uh, this is also a signature of Paul. And throughout all of his epistles, all of his letters, he, he starts this out, and he wants them to know that uh, this is an official letter from him as an apostle, but also to set the groundwork for the epistle that goes on, that this is the grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives that blessing, and you, you see that in a lot of his epistles. It's very, um, very Paul, I guess you would say, in the way he does his epistles, his, his writings. So it's a very interesting um, start to the book of Ephesians. I mean, it seems obvious in some ways that there should be a natural response. God's amazing blessings towards us. We should naturally want to, to worship him. But I, I also wonder as well, maybe he's, he's speaking to them in the context of their religious history, their former practice as well. And uh, there may be a, a concern there about not trying to worship in the way that they used to. Uh, right, and, and not try to uh, bring in some of those um, practices that they did in, in their pagan faith, but yet he's giving them permission, no, you should worship God. This is something that you should do in response to his blessings. Uh, question three, what has God done for us in and through Jesus the Messiah? What has he done for us? Mark? We go. All right, yeah, I mean, I just basically said, you know, the, the obvious, he's given us eternal life, hope, faith. He saved us by his son's sacrifice. I mean, that's the obvious answer right there initially. Right. Other thoughts? Other ideas? Say that again into the microphone. <laughs> he adopted us into his family. He adopted us into his family. I mean, just think about that for a second. He adopted us into his family. What else? Sarah? I think sometimes we lose perspective on what it would mean to live in a world where Christianity is brand new. Because our experience is that it's been around for thousands of years. Right. But in a world where paganism is the normal, to have the Son of God come for you, that you might have life, I can't imagine how revolutionary that was to a pagan culture that, you know, gods are everywhere and you just choose your god that you worship and, you know, right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't do anything for you. Right. There's, there's no love, there's no investment on their behalf for you. And to have God send his only son, I, I think we just lose sight of that perspective. Yeah, and, and, and that you know, those pagan gods weren't doing anything for them. God is making them into his children, making us into his children. Uh, just superseding everything, because there was only one person at that time that was considered the son of God, right? 
and that was the emperor in Rome. And, and, and so not only did the Son of God come and save us, the actual Son of God, but he's enabling us to the adoption of becoming the children of God. Let me throw out a really easy question, a little subset here. I had to sneak my own question in here. Because we get this predestined concept in this, in this passage. Predestination. What does that mean to you? What do you think about in that regard? He's predestined us to, to this outcome, to this sonship, to this adoption, to the kingdom of God. What, what does that mean to you? I picture the Father uh, looking down over creation before any of us are here and already envisioning many, just like he told Abraham, many, many children he told him to start looking at the stars and the sand. And he's seen us from before we were even born, already part of his family, really ruling with him in the millennium. He's already seeing that because he can see from the beginning to the end. So he's already seeing the adoption happening. So to him, it's not something like it is to us where it just happens now. It's like, you know, so it, he's already singing over us before we're here. So I get a picture of the father already having this family album and the pictures of all of us in the album. So it's just a, a glorious picture of that's the predestination where he already knew which ones were going to choose him after we were chose by him, which ones would answer that call. So it's just a, a great picture. I don't see it as people didn't, didn't have a choice in that kind of predestination, but rather the father knowing in his knowledge. So. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Okay, let's, uh, let's go on to the next official question. Uh, number four, what does it mean to be chosen by grace? It's verses four through six. What does it mean to be chosen by grace? John? He has accepted us through Jesus. It's a free gift that we don't, de that we don't deserve, but it's a gift that he gives us. Anybody else? There's no, you know, there's no right answer. This is about sharing perspective and ideas that, that we have. Anyone else? Chosen by grace. What does it mean? I think it, for me, it's a two, I put, really, it's a two-part answer. His grace put us on this predestined path in the first place, right? And then when we got off the path, he brought grace back in, the grace that started this whole thing in the beginning, and brought us back to that, that path, to that destination. So for me, it's, it's like this double grace. He had the grace to create us in the first place, to want us as his children. And then when we... Went our own way as we are apt to do, he brought us back through grace and chose us deliberately. So he chose us twice and he gave us grace twice. Number five says, we aren't chosen for our own sake, but for the sake of what God wants to accomplish through us. In what ways might God want to bless or how is he already blessing others through you or your Christian community? This one gets a little 
little harder, right? Because it's starting to become personal. That God is personally working with us, but not just for our own redemption, but for this larger concept of new creation, of redemption for uh, those beyond us. So what, what answers did you guys come up with for number five? Mark? I don't want to hog this service, but I think if, <laughs> if we can get more input here. No, I mean, I'm just going for the, the obvious one here, but I think it's relevant in the sense that um, God's grace, sorry, we, we, um, we own our own church building, and that's a big, big thing compared to a lot of church of gods all over the world. I mean, I grew up in a church where we never had our own church building. We went to schools and colleges and what have you, so we're blessed beyond our belief in a, in a lot of ways for having our own building. But then we have a weekly Sabbath service that we can always look forward to get to go to. Right. Um, and then we, we preach the gospel and we're doing good works. So that, that's the start of there. Yeah, you reminded me, I remember one time uh, back in England, uh, you know, we were meeting once a month and maybe a couple of times a month. And then one time our, <clears throat> our uh, place of, of meeting was double booked and we had to go somewhere else. So on a Sabbath morning at about 9.30, we met in a pub. And you know what a pub smells like the morning after? So, huge blessing. And I think, as a congregation, we try and be a blessing to, to our region, right? To our area that people can come like we did with the feast that, you know, we had so many challenges uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. We were able to do that here. Um, so, yeah, that's a great blessing. Any other thoughts on, on number five? I know we're I'm trying to move us along here. I think in one word we could sum it up by saying overcome because ultimately good things that happen to us are meaningless because God is gracious and he brings good to everyone but it is the overcoming of the trials and the adversity that actually cause us to stand out and cause true believers to stand out and they set the example then of inspiration for others because ultimately we can say all we want that we have faith and we have grace, but until it is tested and tried and is strengthened, it's just words. It's, it's meaningless in some ways. It's the overcoming of the trials, overcoming of the adversity. And in some ways, you know, kind of stepping back where you were talking about this, this idea of, of grace, there, there's kind of a harsh... Um, I shouldn't say harsh. There's an interesting parallel of grace that we find throughout scriptures. It talks about God in, I think in Deuteronomy, of being a consuming fire, but also in the same passage, a loving father. And I think grace is similar, his grace is similar in that way. There's a, there's a passage in Ezekiel, I believe, where he says that the man who walks uprightly before me, all of his days, but in his last days, he sins against me. His righteousness will count for nothing. But the one who walks righteous or who walks wickedly before me all of his days, but in his last breath, he he calls upon me. His his uh, his evil or his sins will count for nothing. That ultimately is grace. It is the overcoming 
God, God isn't looking for, for us to be automatons. It, it wasn't this just general sin that caused Israel to, go, uh, to, to be lost and him to divorce them. It was their going after other gods. What he seeks is a contrite heart, which is why he tries us, which is how he shows his love for us. And it is ultimately overcoming. That both reflects his grace and reflects the, the true intent, that, that sonship, if you will. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting that what you're saying there is because certainly it's, you wouldn't see as much value in the life of a person that's never had a challenge. Everything's on a silver spoon, right? We even complain about that. Those rich people that everything's on a silver spoon. And, and, and you're right. Us showing overcoming in Christ is, is what we can use to share that, that grace of God, the gospel. Um, and, and how he can use us. But we have to be visible, though, don't we? We have to allow our struggles to be public <laughs> in some ways, and that's hard because not all of our struggles are cool or, you know, palatable to the community at large, and that, that, that is um, a big challenge. But to, to go along with that, we have, uh, you know, question six says, what blessings have we received? in Jesus. And, you know, this is a fantastic exercise, I think, that we should do daily, uh, but at least on a regular basis. What blessings have we received in Jesus? Brent? Having the truth and knowing my future and the future of my loved ones that it's not over when it's over here. And I think that is, to me, the confidence and knowing how much God loves us. Other thoughts? Pete? It was interesting, I made a point of uh, this in Stroud, uh, that um, we um, are called into this um, life to come to understand the mysteries that, that God has there for us. And he opens that up to us through, the, through his spirit. And, and it's very interesting. When I was in school, um, as many of us went through um, the worldly schools, the thing that was always put into our minds is that we, especially if you took any science class, that you were a product of an evolutionary um, product. You just came from the green slime. What God does for us through his Holy Spirit is opens our mind to understand what he is doing, to understand how he loves us because that's part of the grace that he's given us. And he has opened that <clears throat> door into our mind that we are, we are a product of his creation. And we shall be a great product of his creation in the kingdom of God. But we are right now part of his, as we're going to read, part of his workmanship. So I don't want to continue to preach. <laughs> yeah, the, the mystery of his will. Uh, that That's, I mean, sometimes I feel like we have the... Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, we, we, 
we have the macro, you know, mystery a little bit better, but the the micro mystery of my particular thing, what do I need to do today? What's my challenge today and this this week? It's 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 an interesting challenge. Go ahead. Well, I was studying Ephesians this morning and then a friend of mine was studying in some other stuff and he began to text me things that God was showing him and then I text him something I was seeing that Paul was telling me through Ephesians and then all of a sudden his next text was aren't we so greatly privileged to have a relationship with the creator of our universe and it just kind of hit me like yeah we're just commenting back and forth what God has shown us and there's people out in the world that have no clue no idea of any of these things that we're talking about because we're talking about things that are not only for here but for eternity and uh, yeah it just hit me that's one of the greatest blessings I think we have is that we have this relationship with our creator that is so personal so yeah I had redemption forgiveness wisdom prudence the receiving of his will the understanding of his will and like you say it's not everyone knows that The coronavirus pandemic, there was a, a meme that came out that said the church hasn't been closed, it's been deployed. And I think there's a lot of meat in that concept right there because we come every week and we fellowship and we sing and we, you know, we're enriched for our time here. But I, since we've been in Missouri, we haven't had a local congregation to attend. And the realization is that this Christian walk is a very personal walk and it ought to be irrelevant of whether we get to meet with people on Sabbath we should be Christian because that's who we are and his laws are in our hearts and it's in our bones and it follows us wherever we go and I've you know been doing some introspection thinking do my neighbors have any idea that we're Christian is it evidenced by our interactions? Have I gone, have I been the church to them? You know, um, the word says that if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. And if our Christian um, trademark, if you will, is washed away because we're not meeting on a regular basis, then it's not very well internalized. And the church ought to be present whether or not we're meeting together we we should be serving our communities all right let's move on to uh, question seven Paul says God gives us the blessings lavishly how does lavishly fit the way you understand or experience God's attitude toward you and he asks us to explain how closely does lavishly fit the way you understand or experience God's attitude toward you? David? In 30 seconds or less. All right. So <laughs> I think we look at blessings from the wrong perspective. And, and oftentimes when we go to God and pray, we, we ask for this. And, we, and, and we're, we look at God and the sacrifice that is given in our stead as some sort of a genie. And I think that's the wrong approach. Blessings, according to the scripture, are not for stuff and whatnot. We've become stuffits. And what we need to realize is the blessings that we have are the intangible things that God pours out lavishly on us. And I think there's that, that element there, that, as I mentioned before, it's the ability 
the power to overcome and then to be the shining light to others. Because ultimately, we can do nothing for our community and nothing for anyone until we ourselves have overcome and then become that reflective light of the Messiah in us. And I, I think that's the true blessing, is, is that, that ability to truly overcome and therefore to become that light to the world. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago. I'll definitely come to you, Brittany. Um, we, I showed you that little video on Ephesians, right? Well, in Ephesians was, was a rich city and a poor city. You had the masters and, and incredible wealth in some of those houses that had the decoration. And then you had over here the slaves. And there was two economies. Renee was pointing that out to me this morning when we were kind of going through this again. Two economies. And, and, and it's easy for us, I think, sometimes to think on the one economy, which is physical blessings. God's given us a house. He's given us things. He's given us objects. He's given us uh, even money and resources to be able to do. Uh, and sometimes he does. But what's the other economy? What's the more valuable economy? It's those spiritual attributes. Love. Love between brethren. Love between uh, family members. And, and, I mean, just think about the richness of that and when we are absent from that, that particular value, how less of a person we are. Credible riches. Brittany. So, like you all were saying, I have um, his mercy and forgiveness and love have no end. They are freely and lavishly given all the time. So that is what he lavishes on us in good times and bad. Yep. He, those are always available to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. What is God's big plan? What is God's big plan? Not a trick question. Maxine. all of his family. Bring us all into his family, right? That his, the mystery of his will is from the very beginning for us all to be adopted into his family. Any other aspects of that? Brittany? Um, it has the scriptures here and it says everything will be under the authority of Christ. And oh man, I'm looking forward to that time. <laughs> everything on earth and in heaven, everything will be under the authority of Christ. And That'll be a good time. <laughs> and heaven isn't just oh, the kingdom, where God dwells. I look at that as a much broader thing, and I think a lot of us do. It says the increase of his kingdom, right? There will be no end. So God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is going to continue to grow and look at the size of the universe. And all of that space that we have to plant a new seed into. How do you see the blessings of this plan unfolding today? It's kind of hard sometimes to see the, how that's unfolding today. I mean, we might be a little tempted to say, well, we're getting near to the end, so that's a part of the unfolding. Steve? The other thing is that God is still calling me. He hasn't stopped. He's still choosing, you know, the chosen. Yeah. Um, and he continues to do that. And we don't know how many. We have no idea how many are out there. 
God's plan is continuing on. He's still filling his family up. He still has positions for a lot more in that family. Um, so, um, consequently, as we live our lives, uh, it kind of affects the, the world that we live in, but we need to understand that God is greater than the world. He's greater than all governments. He's, and he's continuing to, to work out his plan on this earth. And I think in the considering what's going on in the world that we live in today, all around the world, and we may face a lot of tribulations, a lot of trials coming up, we need to realize that God is still on his throne and still has the power to, to do what needs to be done to, uh, to bring his kingdom to fruition. So be encouraged by that. Trev? So part of it is um, bringing it down to a more individual level and every morning waking up and really truly putting in your heart, you know, God's will be done, not yours. And so how is he unfolding a kingdom? It's in the hearts of every believer every single day on an individual basis. And so we don't have to look at the news. We don't have to look to see, you know, who's in charge of the government. It's for me personally, I have to put my desires, my selfish wants, what I think I need aside and put his kingdom first. And so that's how it's unfolding each and every day and every single believer. Yeah, I really like that because you can see it happening, right? It's, it's positive rather than looking outward in the world. It just seems very negative. Um, I know we also have no control over everything else. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is an interesting little uh, uh, paragraph here. He says, Paul tells the story of the cross of Jesus or the sacrifice of Jesus in such a way that we can hear underneath it. And, and I find this interesting because this study is going to take us up to and into unleavened bread and Passover season. And so he says, the ancient Jewish story, the ancient biblical story, I'll just uh, deviate from N.T. right there, of Passover. Passover was the night when the uh, he says, the angel of death, the Lord came through the land uh, of Egypt, and the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts rescued the Israelites from the judgment that would otherwise have fallen on them. Telling the story like this, the story of Jesus, the Messiah, and the meaning of his death, told in such a way as to bring out the fact that it is the fulfillment of the Exodus story. It is a classic Jewish way of celebrating the goodness of God. Worship for Christians will almost always involve telling the story of what God has done in and through Jesus. Uh, could I get somebody to read Ephesians uh, 1, 11 through 14, please? Curtis? Eleven through fourteen, right? Yeah. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what is our promised inheritance? I mean, we've touched upon this already, but from, from the, the verses we just read, what is our promised inheritance? Ken? Our promised inheritance is to be children of God, to share with, to be Jesus' brethren. Doesn't get any better. It does not. Anyone else? Steve? <laughs> it's interesting that the, the scripture also talks about the covenant being um, passed down so that if we're Christ's, then we are also Abraham's seed. So we then become a part of the inheritance and we have no idea all of what God has planned for us in that inheritance but um, it started off in, in, the, in the land which Abraham wandered around in and which the eventually that beautiful um, holy city is going to be set on but after that we're, we're, we will be a part of that too as part of the family so it's it's a it's a great plan that God has for us, and uh, we keep looking at it and, and and marveling at what what God has for us. David, start to say I could talk loud enough without it, but uh, <coughs> excuse me. We're also to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ. We know that Christ is going to, first of all, rule on earth for a thousand years. That, of course, like you mentioned a while ago, there's going to be no end to his government, to his family. And like you mentioned a while ago, and I can't get over that either, uh, I look away past the millennium, even though I know we've, we've got to go through that. It's going to be a tremendous blessing. But, you know, when, when you've got millions and billions of miles between some universes and the other, you know, and, and uh, they're light years away. This is a huge, huge universe out there, and I can see this going on for many, many millions of years, whatever, but I, my mind can't even conceive the greatness. Uh, I don't you know, we're still going to have the pecking order. God's going to be, and Jesus Christ is going to be the head, and we're going to be under him, and we uh, we may eventually get to be uh, leaders over more than three cities or whatever. But anyway, it, it's an awesome thing. We're going to be rulers with Christ, under Christ, and, and that's a fabulous thing. I sometimes wonder about that scripture. I'm not too sure I want any cities. A little differently, I guess, when I thought about the promised inheritance, I looked at it, the image I got right away was a story that somebody told me about how the Hebrew people viewed marriage, and that guarantee of Holy Spirit we get is like uh, the husband coming in and paying, paying the dowry mm -hmm. to the father of the bride, and then he leaves, and upon that leaving, the bride, which is us, begins to be in, begin to get earnest expectation of that soon coming back and for the consummation of that marriage yeah. 
which will be our inheritance, which will be to be married to our husband forever and ever. And I got excited. As I was thinking about that whole image, it just brought back again the excitement of the second coming when he comes back and and uh, receives us back as his bride. And that everything you guys have been talking about, that inheritance, we'll have all those things too. But just that idea that he's coming back for us and what we're to be doing in the meantime is yeah. getting excited and preparing for that. Well, and, and that touches on the, the next question, which is how do we know that we will receive this inheritance? Um, and and, and you've, you've mentioned it. Anybody else want to answer that? Lots of people have been very quiet today. I'm going to let it slide this time because not everybody had a book. Owen? I might be wrong about this, but I'm going to guess uh, we, um, we'll know when you receive his inheritance through baptism. Yeah, and the, the, the laying on of hands and the receiving yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's that, that's that sealing. And it's interesting, you look at that word too, there's a, there's a few different um, uses of that. You know, there's a seal, like a seal with a signet ring, and it, it seals it. It's a document. It's proof. I paid the dowry, so, you know, you're, you, you belong to me, <laughs> kind of thing. But there's also the idea that it's sealed, protected capped off. It's, it's secured, and you, you've sealed it inside of something that's protective uh, as well. Uh, so the word Paul uses for guarantee here is a word used at the time in a legal or commercial transactions. Suppose I wanted to buy a plot of land from you valued at $10,000. We might agree that I would pay you the first $1,000 as a down payment, guaranteeing the full sum to come in the future, when the details were complete, the spirit is the down payment, part of the promised future, coming forward to meet us in the present. And that, that I think, also raises an important question for us, and it's not one of the official ones, sorry. But, so if we have this down payment, the spirit of God, it is the guarantee of that future promise. But it's also like the future promise, isn't it? Because the $1,000 given is like the whole value given later. So what does that mean for how we use the Spirit of God in our lives now? I know I'm throwing that question out to you. Because I think it really is a big question. Do we use the sealed, the Spirit of God in us to anywhere near the level that we could? use that spirit. And I, I equated this when I was thinking about it to when you have a mortgage, right? You unfortunately have to pay the bank and on your uh, deed, it says there's a bank uh, involved in this arrangement, right? And they're, they're stamped on there. And you don't own the whole house yet. And it takes, you know, about 30 years to own anywhere near part of the house. But you can leverage what you do own, can't you? You can go to another financial institution or another bank and you can say, I want to do something. I'll use the little bit of my collateral that I have to do something else. And I wonder if we should think of the spirit a little bit more like that. That it's a tool that we should be using much more powerfully in our lives today. I really wanted to get to lesson two, but we're not going to do it. So. 
let's uh, go to the last uh, question here. What difference does knowing you are to receive God's inheritance in full make in your life? Knowing what it is that lies ahead of us, I think it should make us more conscientious in how we use the spirit now in how we look at world events, how we internalize and evaluate ourselves. It's very difficult to get into your own mind. And uh, I've been talking with Renee about the, the book Battlefield of the Mind, and one of the questions that I was reading there, it says, how do you think what you're thinking? Why do you think that way? And so we need to get more personal in our internalizing in our personal evaluations and then use the spirit to overcome and to make progress in the areas where we're deficient because he says that he will help us and overcome and he'll be there with us all the way. David and then Art. To piggyback off of that I, I think ultimately our goal is to be living the kingdom or living now as though we are living to the kingdom and I think that we often, like I said earlier, we, we pray to God like he's a genie, but really what we need to be doing is, is subjugating our will to his. We, we pray in the model prayer, thy will be done, but oftentimes what we're saying is, God, would you do what I want you to do instead of mold me according to your will? And I think ultimately in that light, we need to be living the kingdom here towards the kingdom, but subjugating ourselves to the will of God so that when the time comes, we are actually prepared to sit on the throne so that we rule as he rules. I like that. Art, all the way in the back. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off of what was previously said here. Three people uh, piggyback. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, a part of, part I think, uh, of, of doing what the two previous people said is understanding and knowing ourselves. We are, we are, we grow up as children. We get biases and prejudice and attitudes uh, from our parents, from societies, from teachers, and then we come into the truth. And uh, to understand where we're at and how the Holy Spirit can modify us and help us through life, I think is, uh, is, is really important. And I think that's part of the knowing the difference. As most of us know, life can get tedious, it can get hard. A lot, of, a lot of people have tremendous problems, trials in the church. And just knowing that it's impossible for God to lie, Jesus said, I will never leave nor forsake you, and to not give up. The scriptures tell us many, many times, be not weary in well-doing, because you'll receive in due time if you think not. So. Sometimes when life really gets tough, and, and I haven't had it as tough as many people, even right here in our own room, but even when I've had what I thought was hell, <laughs> uh, I've had to capitalize on these scriptures, knowing that I am going to receive a greater reward, and the sufferings of this world is not to be compared to the joy that's to be in us. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, yeah. but anyway, uh, it's impossible for God to lie. 
And if we believe the Bible is the word of God, then we have to believe those words. I think, too, knowing that we are children of a loving Father who wills for good things in our lives and happiness, and he loves us. And just having that perception that the creator of the universe loves you, I think that changes your perspective as opposed to the feeling. I mean, you look around, and you might feel like everybody hates me. (laughs) You know, the the whole world's against me. And at times it may feel that way, but when you know... to the core of your being that the king of the universe loves you. I think it it helps when you're, you know, whether you're in school and you're being bullied, whether you're at work in a miserable situation there, or, you know, whatever the trials might bring in this life, when you know that, that God is out for your happiness and your betterment, I think that changes your perspective. Well, so that brings us to, uh, to a close on our questions. Uh, I have a question for you. I jokingly thought we would get through two lessons today. Um, so the, the question is, do we want to just continue next week with uh, just, just kind of messing with Mark's cheese? Because you're, you're on next week, right, Mark? Yeah. Um, or do we want to just keep going in, in the sequence that we have, you know, one through whatever? And what that'll mean is that we'll have to adjust something at the end of the schedule. I don't know if you care. You want to just keep going in sequence. All right, we'll do that. Um, I feel like I was forgetting something. Oh, uh, the prayer, yes. Um, it's a very short prayer here, uh, but I, I think it's you know really relevant. It says, praise God the blessings he has given you through Jesus the Messiah and the inheritance that you will receive in full someday. So let's just pray for that. Eternal Father, we just thank you and we just thank you so very much for this time, this, this opportunity to share perspective on your word, to share what we're learning and just a, just a small part and the opportunity to still study your word, that it's available, that we have an we have an opportunity to, to still read your words and the words that your son has brought to us. And Father, most of all, we are very grateful for all the blessings you've given us. The, the blessings that are so rich and that are spiritual, that are eternal in nature, that, that you love us, that the God of the universe, you, Father, love us and has chosen us to be your children from the foundation of the earth. And we just uh, are in awe of that, and we are very grateful for that, Father. And we look forward to the fullest manifestation. We look forward and we groan, as Paul said in, in another place, we, we groan with creation waiting for this process to finish and for us to be finally born into your kingdom. We just we thank you, Father. We look forward to that time. We just pray all of this now in our Savior's name, in Jesus' name, amen.